I will invite you to take a copy of the scripture. If you like, you can use the red one in the pew rack in front of you. Or you can turn on your phone, swipe on your phone, or digital device, or maybe you brought a Bible from home, but we're going to turn to John chapter 8. We're going to finish John chapter 8 today, which is really the conclusion of a longer discourse that Jesus is having with people at the uh, Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 7 through John chapter 8. And we're going to see this morning one of the clearest uh, claims to being God in the flesh, to being God with us, to being Emmanuel that Jesus makes in any of the Gospels. Maybe you've heard sometimes, well, uh, Jesus never, in fact, claimed to to be God, and and modern liberal scholars will uh, say that this is something that was added after the fact, um, hundreds of years after the the, the uh, life and death of Jesus, his followers uh, came up with the doctrine of the incarnation, came up with the doctrine of uh, the teaching that Jesus was both God and man. We will see that that was no uh, invention of man, but that was the claim of Jesus himself here. And so we're going to begin reading in John chapter 8, verse 39. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. And Jesus here is talking, again, I should just, uh, the context, Jesus is talking to people who had uh, believed in him back, if you look in, if you just glance at verse 31, he says, to the Jews who had believed in him. Um, So a number of Jews had become impressed with Jesus, had wanted to follow him, and so this is the people he is talking to. They said, Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things that Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children. They protested, the only father we have is God himself. Most commentators see that as a dig at Jesus. We've heard rumors about, we knew that there was some scandal surrounding your birth that you're not even quite sure who your father is, Jesus. Jesus said to them, verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now am here. I would have not come on my own. I've not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? 
I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is God's word. This is, in many ways, a difficult passage to teach on. There's a lot going on in this passage. But I think this text revolves around a central question that the the Jews here ask of Jesus, the Jewish um, people who had become impressed with him, who were attracted to him at some level, said, who do you think you are? That's in verse 53. Who do you think you are? See, the Jews in this conversation, these people, this crowd was beginning to... um, come to understand who Jesus was, in fact, claiming to be. And so there's no better way to find out who someone is than by asking them. And so the, this, this text revolves around this question, who do you think you are? And so I want to um, ask four questions of this text. And so the four questions are, the first is, who does Jesus think he is? Who do they think he is? Who does the crowd think that Jesus is? Then who does Jesus think they are? And then we'll close with who do you think Jesus is? So who does Jesus think he is? Who do they think he is? Who does Jesus think they are? And who do you think Jesus is? So again, this is a continuation of, first of all, who does Jesus think he is? Well, This is a continuation of the dialogue that we uh, looked at last week where Jesus said some things that have become well-known where he says, you know, um, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Son will set you free. You will be free indeed. And we talked last week about that kind of freedom that Jesus says. And these people said, well, why why do we need to be set free? We've never been the slaves of anyone. We're we're children of Abraham. We've never been the slave of anyone. And you can read that. And if you're a student of the Scriptures, you know the story of the Scriptures. You say, well, um, the people of Israel were slaves a couple of times. They were slaves in Egypt. They were taken captive to Babylon. And even now, they're living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. So 
they're obviously not talking about political freedom here. They're talking about freedom in the sense that William Wallace talks about freedom in Braveheart, right? You know that movie? Where William Wallace is on the horse, and right, he's, got the, he's united the clans of Scotland to fight against the English, and he, you know, he's, he's riding on the horse in front of them, and, he's, and they're, they're ready to, to turn tail and run and, and, and hide. And William Wallace says, you know, they may take our land, they may take our families, Right? They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And so Jesus promises this freedom, this incredible freedom. And we saw last week how he uses the illustration of a Roman estate where um, he says... Uh, this is, uh, he says, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. He's illustrating the kind of freedom that he brings. He says, a son in a Roman estate, a son and a slave may look actually very similar. They, they both live in the house. The son and the slave both are provided for by the head of the house, and they, in fact, both obey the head of the house. But a servant lives in fear that if he doesn't perform, he will um, be beaten or he'll be thrown out of the house. But a son has this assurance of status, assurance of identity, assurance of unconditional love. He says, and so if the son sets you free, if the son, me, if I set you free, you will be free indeed. You will have this inner freedom. You'll have this assurance of unconditional love. He says, he says, and again, he's talking to religious people here, right? He's saying you are slaves to sin. You are living a life of sin, even in your religion, even in your attempts to be really, really good, even in your attempts to measure up to the standards. You are a slave to sin because you have this slave-like relationship with God, that you're afraid that if you don't measure up, if you don't hit the standard, you're going to be thrown out of the family. You have this slavish fear, And so there are those who are slaves to sin because they're far from God, but there are also slaves to sin who are very religious. And so Jesus' first claim in this conversation is that I am the Son who can set you free, who can give you that kind of freedom. He makes this other great claim in the passage we just read where he says, anyone who keeps my word will never see death, will never taste death. He says, I give freedom now, but I give freedom in such a way that it will last forever. Oh, your body will die, but you will not taste death. You will live forever in the freedom and the assurance, the adoption that I bring and give to you and bestow on you is one that will last forever. And the... the, the Jews, the, the, the crowd here, the, those who have become impressed with Jesus on some level they, here, they say, well, that makes no sense because Abraham died. Abraham's the father of our faith, the father of all those who have faith, the father of the faithful, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They, these men, the prophets, they all died. They all lived a righteous life. They all lived in relationship with God. They all kept God's word, and yet they died. And so they're taking this very literally. He says, well, that, that makes no sense. And Jesus then picks up on their Abraham uh, mentality, like they, they mentioned like in the passage from last week. We're children of Abraham. We've never been slaves. And 
Abraham died, and so you, what you're saying about not tasting death can't be true. Jesus says, well, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham saw my day, and he was glad. He was rejoicing in my day, which is an incredibly important statement. It's an incredibly important statement that Jesus make, makes, and, and the, this crowd would inter, can interpret this one in two ways, one in a ridiculous way and one in a terrifying way. And so they, um, as we'll see in a minute, they're going to try to interpret this in a terrifying, in a, in a ridiculous kind of way. What's the other way that they could interpret Jesus' statement that Abraham saw his day? The, the terrifying way is that the Old Testament, all the Abraham and all of the prophets look forward to the day. That there was a day coming. The day. All throughout the Old Testament. The day of the Lord Sometimes it's called the day of the Lord. Sometimes it's called the great and awesome day of the Lord. Sometimes it's just called the day. What is the day in, in Judaism, in the, in the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures? What is it? It's talking about the day that the Lord comes back. It's talking about the day that the Lord will come back and usher in a kingdom. It's like Psalm 96, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that's in it, let the fields be jubilant and everything in it. Then, on that day, all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world in righteousness and peoples in truth. Someone asked me this week, what are you looking forward to most in heaven? And I say, well... It'd be pretty cool to see all the trees of the forest singing for joy. There's going to be such transformation on that day that the, that the trees are going to be singing for joy. There's that day coming where God, the Lord will return and he will come as a judge and usher in a kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace. He's going to break injustice. He's going to end suffering and oppression and hatred and, and, and all sickness and death will be done away with in his kingdom And he will reign forever and ever. And so all of the Old Testament is looking forward to the day. And he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. My day is the day, Jesus is saying. The day is actually my day. The day of the Lord is my day. My coming is the coming. My day is the day. I am the salvation. See, these people desperately didn't want Jesus to be trying to say this. And so they tried the ridiculous. They were like, yeah, Abraham knew you. You're 50. You're not even 50 yet. Jesus was 32 at the time. So I kind of take some comfort in Jesus is 32. And they're saying, well, we can't say 40 because he might be 40. So let's say 50. He's not 50. I get that all the time. People are like, yeah, what are you, 46? I'm like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I do have some gray that I did not have before I was pastor of this church. But. So, so they're, they're, trying to, they're, they're trying to interpret this really ridiculously. Like, yeah, Abraham saw you. You, you were there. with it. You're the contemporary of Abraham. Like, do you own a time machine? Like, they're trying to take this really ridiculous, right? And he says it then more starkly and more clearly and more inflammatory. He says, before Abraham was... I am. Before Abraham was born, before Abraham existed, I am. And they knew what he meant. 
How do we know that they knew what he meant? They picked up stones to stone him. They didn't take a, a rope to hang him. They didn't take a store, sword to stab him. They picked up stones to stone him because the punishment for blasphemy was stoning. You see, Abraham, Jesus is referring back to Exodus chapter 3. You may, may know this story. You may not. Um, Exodus chapter 3, Moses is kind of out in the wilderness. He had grown up in Pharaoh's household, but he... Uh, for a variety of reasons, he was kind of out in hiding for 40 years in the wilderness. And he stumbles across a burning bush. And, and it's in that burning bush that Moses encounters God. And God says, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. I am going to use you, Moses, to lead my people out of slavery and oppression. And you're going to cause this mass exodus. You're going to lead this mass exodus out of Egypt to the promised land. Moses, I've chosen you to be my, the people. And so go to Pharaoh and go to, God's peop- go to my people and lead them out and into the land of flourishing and shalom and peace and, and, and wholeness. And Moses says to, to God, he says, well, if, if I go to your people and say, follow me, and I've been sent by God, who shall I say sent me? Who, who sh- what's your name? He says, what is your name? Who should I say is the one who has sent me? And, Mo- and God says to Moses out of the bush, he says, tell them I am that I am sent you. Go and say to Pharaoh and go to say to my people, the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. He says, this is my name by which I will be known throughout all generations. This is my name forever. God's most special, God's highest God's most personal name is I am. Yahweh in Hebrew. This name was so revered by the the Hebrew people, by the Jews, that they would refuse to write this name down. They would refuse to um, say this word out loud. They would often refer to it as just the Lord, uh, kind of a, a take on the Hebrew word Adonai. But they would refuse to say it because there was such a holy Name. It was this God's covenant name, his, his name of relationship with his people, that he has called them to be with him and to be their leader, their protector, their guide, their father, into relationship with him as their people and as their God. This was his name, I am. I am self-existence. I never was, I am. I, have, I am the uncaused caused. I am self-existent. I depend on nothing. I refer to myself. I am self-referencing. It's the greatest, the highest expression. I have no beginning and no end. I just always am. I am self-existent. And so though the Jews refused to write it down, and though the Jews refused to say it out loud, Jesus not only takes this name on his lips, he takes it on himself. He does more than take this name on his lips and speak it out. He takes it on himself and says, I am. Yeah, that's me. That's me. I am. I am. I have no beginning. I am the uncreated God who created all things. I am the great uncaused cause of this universe. And so they knew what he was claiming to be. Jesus knows that he is the I am. Jesus is claiming divinity in the most clear way possible to these people. You see, he could not have said it in any clearer way to these people that he is God in the flesh. 
And so if you ever hear, oh, Jesus himself never really claimed to be God. Like, to the Jews, this is the most clear way that one could self-identify as God in the flesh. He says, I am, before Abraham was, I am. So who do they think Jesus is? Jesus is claiming his divinity. Jesus is claiming his self-existence. Who do they think that Jesus is? Well, what would you think if someone came and says, I am ultimate reality. I am holding this universe together at this very moment with my pinky finger. I will return at the end of time. Your relationship with me will determine how you spend eternity. What would you think of someone like that? Certainly they don't say, right, what a great teacher. What a good man. Right? It's C.S. Lewis, knows, famous quote. It says, he doesn't leave that as an option. If Jesus, because of the claims that he made, doesn't leave the option in the middle, doesn't let you straddle the fence and say, well, you know, he's, what a good teacher. What a powerful orator. What a, what a moral example he is. They certainly don't say he's a good man. They don't say he's a good teacher. They say, you're demon-possessed. <laughs> Which could mean either you're deluded, you're deranged, you're nuts, you're crazy. Or you're deluding, you're a fraud, you're a shyster, right? You're trying uh, to get power over people, you're, trying, you're, you're a liar. But there's no middle ground. And we see that all throughout the gospel, right? Is all throughout the gospels is that Jesus leaves no middle ground. He is always pushing, pushing, pushing people to a decision. Crown me or kill me. Fall at my feet as Lord, as, as King, or, or take out the nails and crucify me. Crown me or kill me. Don't just try to like me. Jesus doesn't leave the option of middle ground. He's always trying to get you off the fence. And he's trying to do the same to you today. Did he really claim to be God? Well, yeah, he did. I am. He's the one who... who he, and he, his claims to divinity are more than just here. He says, I am the one who forgives sin. Yeah, all sin, you know, the sin that you guys commit against each other, that's actually against me, and I can forgive it. If, the, if he's not God, the cross is cruelty, not self-sacrifice. The cross is horrible and wicked if he's not God, but it is self-sacrifice. He pushes you to get off the fence, crown me or kill me. Why does he do that? I think it's because people who are ready to kill him are the most likely to see who he really is. It's the indifferent. It's the middling. And, and those who, who, who ignore him, those that are on the fence who miss him. So they think Jesus is a fraud. Jesus is demon-possessed. They're not, they're not straddling the fence. They're not sitting on the fence. So who does then, thirdly, who does Jesus think that they are? Listen to this. Jesus can be blunt, right? Jesus can be blunt. He pulls no punches. Jesus pulls no punches. If you are Abraham's children, this is verse 39, then you would do the things that Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do such things. You're not children of Abraham, he's saying. 
You are doing the things your own father does. Here, I'm going to tell you who your father is. Verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and now I am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father. Here it comes. Drop the hammer. You belong to your father, the devil. These people claiming to be children of Abraham, children of God. No, no, no. You're, you're Satan's children. You are children of the devil, you religious people. I said, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's just called them children of the devil. He's called the devil father of the lies, which makes them liars. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Look at that, verse 45. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. It's not, even though I tell you the truth, you still don't believe me. It's like, because I'm telling you the truth, and because you're such liars, you're so repelled by the truth, that's why you can't hear me. That's why you don't respond to me. That's why you don't believe in me. This great question, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Who dares ask that question? Honestly, who dares ask that question? Hey, could you uh, come up with any fault with me? I dare you, right? I dare you to come up with a fault, a sin in my life. I mean, none of us would. This is if I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Jesus is blunt. He's not beating around the bush with these people about who he thinks they are. You're of your father, the devil. You do not belong to God. For Jesus, you either have God or the devil as your father. You either obey the devil or God. You either find your source of identity and allegiance in the devil and his, and his armies and his, his forces of evil or in God. This is unpleasant. But Jesus, because he is a loving teacher, does not hide unpleasant truths. I would never say this, right? You, as Canadians, we would never go up to someone and say, hmm, you? Yeah, God-hater, Satan, child of the devil, right there. I know you go to the church every Sunday, child of the devil. That's who you are. Like, we would never do it, and yet this is, this is what Jesus says, and so we cannot ignore it. We cannot ignore it. What do the scriptures say about us? That we are born children of wrath. Born children of wrath. Infected with a sin nature. With a heart that is inclined away from God. Spiritually dead. Dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians says. Haters of God. That's a quote. Blind to the truth. You see, the the scriptures don't paint a pretty picture of us apart from redemption in Jesus. The scriptures say that as we're born, we're born with a sin nature. 
in that where our inclination is away from God. We don't have to teach our children how to lie. Right? Lying is not second nature, it's first nature. Lying is in their nature. And here's the beauty of the gospel, though. John writes and says to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus, John chapter 3, right? You must be born again. And I've come to give this new birth. God so loved the world. This world of wickedness, of, of people filled with hatred towards God, who've declared war on God and fired the first shot. It's this world that God so loved that he sent his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life, that would be restored to the Father. And so Jesus is claiming his divinity. The people think are not riding the fence. They're not straddling the fence. They're not sitting on the fence. They think he's nuts. They think he's evil. And Jesus says, no, actually, you're the ones who have an evil nature. And so, friends, fourthly, who do you think Jesus is? Are you sitting on the fence? Are you sitting on the fence this morning? I don't want you to think of this picture for too long. Um, but straddling a fence is pretty painful. Right? If you have one leg on each side, that hurts, no matter who you are. Usually, when you sit on a fence, both your legs are on the same side. You're facing one way or the other. Are you facing towards skepticism of Jesus this morning? Are you facing towards skepticism where you hear the claims of Jesus towards divinity, towards being God in the flesh, and you're like, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. I, I'd want to say to you, I, I mean, I totally get that. Like, that's actually very reasonable to say that someone came and walked this earth and said, yeah, I have always been and always will be I am going to actually judge all things, that all sins are actually against me. Um, I am God in the flesh. I am eternal. I am almighty. That's crazy, right? So what would I say to you today? I'd say, well, a couple of things. Look at the wisdom of his teaching. Look at the wisdom of his teaching. Read the Gospels this Christmas season. Read the Gospels. And look at his, the wisdom of his teaching. You know, Jesus is the first one to say, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Look at the beauty of his teaching. Then look, secondly, at the beauty of his life. Look at the beauty of his life. You see, Jesus said, and he says in this passage, he says in other places, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. That he's he come not to actually seek his own glory. So his teaching, Jesus' teaching is incredibly egocentric, right? It's very uh, self-centered, it seems, his teaching. Worship me. Salvation is found in me and me only. 
seems very self-centered, very egocentric. And, and we've, we've seen egocentric teachers before. They usually die with a small following of kind of crazy people, right? Usually in flames or drinking Kool-Aid or... But you see, these egocentric teachers also lead egocentric lives. See, Jesus, as an egocentric teacher, led this incredibly, incredible life that was anything but egocentric. He had the most incredible life. He had tenderness without compromise. He had strength without harshness. He has convictions without condescension. He has humility without insecurity. He had the most incredible life. Read the Gospels. Look at not only the wisdom of his teaching, but look at the beauty of his life. You see, P.T. Forsyth, I love this quote. He says, when we look at Jesus, we see the holy love that deserves to be almighty. I love that. When you, see, when you look at Jesus, you see holy love that deserves to be almighty. You want it to be true. Could a demon love like this? So if you're sitting on a fence and your legs are maybe pointing towards skepticism, read the Gospels. Read the Gospel of John. Keep coming back with us here as, on Sunday mornings as we work our way through this Gospel, this beautiful description of Jesus as we see his wisdom of his teaching and the beauty of his life. And consider why, why do people all over the world and why do his closest friends actually agree with him? Yeah, I think you are God in the flesh. Why did those closest to him, why, why did when, when Jesus says, which one of you convicts me of any sin, why didn't they say, well, here, I'll show you 10? Why was their lives so transformed after he rose from the dead? Why did they believe the claims that he rose from the dead? And why did they give their lives to proclaim that message? No one dies for something they know to be a lie. So if you're some some encouragements if you're if you're leaning towards skepticism, maybe you're a Christian and you're a little bit on the fence as well. Your feet are facing towards Jesus. But you're gonna but you're on the fence. You, you kind of go to him when you're in trouble, when you need something, when you tell him what you need. But you don't throw yourself at his feet and treat him like he's God. We have limits to our allegiance. We have limits to how far we'll go in our obedience. Friend, if he is the I am, limiting him is crazy. The I am is not someone you invite into your life to be your assistant. And so if you're facing towards Jesus and yet still on the fence, if you have limit your allegiance to him, you limit your obedience to him, and we all do, I'd urge you to get rid of small ambitions. Get rid of the notion that you are going to tell him what to do and what you actually need. And come to him as the king as the Lord, as the master, the master that sets you free. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you convince us of the truth of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus? Would you open our eyes that we would see you, Jesus, as beautiful? That we'd at least want you to be true? We'd at least want your love to be the almighty love that upholds this universe? And Lord, if there's some here who are 
they're limiting their allegiance to you. They've taken the name of Christian upon themselves, follower of Jesus, and yet <clears throat> hesitant to obey you, not really seeking you, not really loving you with their whole heart. Lord, would you call us to a new level, a, new, a deeper level today, a new obedience, a new love, a new allegiance and devotion towards you? Convince us, Lord. Open our eyes that we, we want to live lives that are in accordance with reality. And Jesus, if you are the I am, we want to fall at your feet and worship you. So, Father, send your spirit how we need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.